0: Welcome to GMFC Studios, God's production company. Praise the Lord, everybody. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Truly, it is an honor to be with you today on this the day that we have set aside to celebrate not only the death and burial but the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he'd have just died, but not got up, there would truly be nothing to celebrate. But it's because he got up that today we have a reason to celebrate. I just want to thank the Lord for each and every one of you, for those that are tuning in from uh, wherever it is that you're tuning in from, whether it be local in this Uh, State of Ohio, in the United States, or abroad, we salute each and every one of you. We thank the Lord for our brothers and sisters in Kenya. We thank the Lord for each of them as they are celebrating and have already celebrated uh, the Lord today as they are before us in time, so to speak. But we thank the Lord that they're coming in to join with us today, even now, to hear the word of the Lord. At the conclusion of today, I'm going to share Holy Communion with you in the only way that we possibly can. But I just thank the Lord because God has shared something with me that I want to impart into your spirit. I'm not going to call this a new revelation because it's not really a new revelation in the sense that it's not something that has always been there. But this is something that has always been there but maybe we haven't fully understood or the light of God's word has not been revealed completely and fully in our life. We've taken things out of context. We find parts of scripture that we really like and we hold on to that. We build whole ministries based upon uh, certain truths of the gospel. And then we take out the parts that we don't like and we do this uh, unfortunately quite often, as a body. But there's something uh, that's in the Word of God that uh, answers a question that has been asked for years, what has happened to the power of the gospel, especially here in the United States? When you look across the world, especially in the places where the gospel is really exploding, uh, like Africa or uh, Even in places like China, you'll find that they have a slightly different experience. And it's that experience that I want to talk about. It's that experience that used to be here. It is something for which we have uh, turned into something else. And because we turned it into something that it truly is not, we're missing out. I want to kind of, you know, point your attention to some things that's in the word of God that we don't pay much attention to. I also want to get us from the place of asking the question, what has happened to us, to a place of fully understanding exactly what it is that has happened and how we can get over it. So we definitely thank the Lord for each and every one of you uh, for tuning in. And I ask, uh, I I said in Bible study uh, this past week um, that uh, we uh, have our pens and papers ready, that we uh, give some time and attention this morning. I have a lot to unpack for you, but it's vital for your understanding. It's vital that you stand in there, hang in there uh, with me as we get through this. Because I want to show you something that will utterly change your life. It will change your life. If you take this time today, I don't know exactly how much I'll be able to release this morning to you. But if you take the time to just pay attention, don't listen while you're doing other things. But give 100% of your attention to what we're going to release into your spirit today. I promise you your life will not be the same. It will change your life completely, utterly. And then we will share together as best we can. Uh, Holy Communion, the instruction was given out that if you could, please go and, and get this sacrament so that we can share them together as we do it here in the studio, that you would be able to do it in your homes. We thank the Lord for each and every one of you and your grace and truth. Hallelujah. Not really sure what's going on. Uh, we're getting some feedback, so let me let me go check on something real quick. The enemy doesn't want me to give this to you, so hold on a second. Okay, I think we got that fixed, amen, praise the Lord. Uh, sorry for that interruption, but the enemy's fighting me on this. He's been fighting me on this. It's something I've been building to for quite some time, but it's something that's um, important for us to grab a hold of and to understand. Now, let me, just, let me just crack the ice right at the very beginning. Today's sermon title is Let Jesus Go. And I remember uh, about two weeks ago, I put a post out on Facebook and the post simply said, let Jesus go. So. Okay, so something has happened. Hold on one second. Okay, again, I told you the enemy's fighting me. He doesn't want me to get this out. So I apologize for that interruption. We had a little uh, technical thing we had to straighten out. But I want to uh, just give it to you from the onset. The title of this sermon today is Let Jesus Go. Let Jesus Go. Now, you would think that the enemy would be excited about me telling you to let Jesus go. When in fact, this is the most fearful thing to the enemy. And by the time we get through this, you'll understand why. And I had put this post out um, about letting Jesus go about a week or two weeks ago. And I started getting messages back. And in, in the post, I, I kind of jokingly said, I said, watch, nobody will say anything about this post. They won't, they won't touch this post. They'll think I've lost my mind. And I had people that were texting me privately, family members that would text me privately and said, hey, your Facebook got hacked. And I said, what do you mean? And they say, well, this strange post was out there. And I said, what post? And they, sh- they sent the post to me in, 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 in a uh, text message. And I laughed and I said, what's strange about it? And they were kind of puzzled. Well, today, I hope to relieve you of your puzzlement. Amen. Because I wholeheartedly mean this. We, as the people of God, need to let Jesus go. And I have not lost my mind. As a matter of fact, this is what Jesus commands us to do. You'll see as we get through this. But before we get to the meat of this, the first thing that we must fully grasp is that none of us were accidental or or unplanned births. Your birth was intentional. Your birth was designed by God and has a purpose, a specific purpose. You were not an oops or the result of some misguided dysfunctional uh, relationship. Your birth was always God's goal. As a matter of truth, your designed uh, birth was so important to God that he ensured that you were crafted like as he is. When we look at God and try to understand him according to his revelation, uh, his word of himself, we can see that he is described as a uh, tripart being, a triunity, or three very distinct persons that make up the oneness of who he is. He is not three separate things. He is one thing that is seen in three separate manifestations or in three separate uh, lights, not separate beings he's not separate they're not three separate gods but one who shows himself in three manners he is father who is the creator of all things he is son who administers all things for the father and he is spirit or holy ghost who is a person and is responsible for the manifestation of the designs of the father that are that are administered through the Son. Now John one and one shows us that Jesus, as the word which was spoken by the Father, as it declares in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the most vital thing created is that which carries the very visage of God. And the only thing that carries the visage of God or the uh, expression of God manifest is man. Everything else in creation was spoken into being. But when we look at man, man was not spoken. Man was crafted. Man was formed by the hand of God himself. He reached down into the dirt. Into to the dust of the earth, unlike anything else that was created, man is the expression of God's creativity. When I look at myself in the mirror, I don't see just me, but I see the creativity of God expressed through me. Genesis, the second chapter, and the seventh verse says this. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. You have to understand first and foremost that you are the handiwork or the craftsmanship of God himself. He not only formed you, but the Bible tells us that after man was formed, man lay there without life. So God, after forming you, breathed into you life eternal. It's important that we uh, understand that our value is then not derived from the elements that we were created from or the body which was made to house our soul. We spend time, a lot of time, uh, caring for and trying to recraft our physical body as if it was um, you know, really that important, but our true value is derived from what was put into man. Well, what is it that was put into man? The breath of life eternal is what was put into man. Our external focus is really robbing us of the ability to truly connect with and walk in the advantages of what has been placed in us. So my value then really becomes what was placed in me. What was placed in me is the Ruach of God. The, the spirit of God breathed into me, which is actually the DNA of life itself. As a matter of fact, there's a scientific study that talks about the DNA and the breakdown of, of DNA and how uh, in the coding of DNA, um, letters and numbers represent different uh you know particles that make up life and make up the body, and that the numeric value points to to letters that indicate at the very uh, forefront of all of our DNA that we are the expression of God. It actually spells out that we are the expression of God. We are the the the, the DNA that's in us actually declares it when you look at it at a scientific level. The DNA or The very spirit of God is screaming that we are made up of God. God breathed himself into us. His Ruach, his spirit was breathed into us. It was not until God breathed into man... The Bible tells us that man gained the ability to carry out the assignment for which we were created, and that was to reign over creation. As man was created in the image or the visage of God, purposed by God, embodied by God, to carry out the purpose of God, which was to reign over the creation of God. So man minus God is man... Minus life or the power by which man ought to live. So man with God then becomes the expression of life being carried out in the work of man. So when God crafted our respiratory system, he did so uh, in, in a very peculiar and, 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 and specific way, causing the nose to become the intake point of our respiration. This is why God uh, did not do what we do now when we practice CPR. CPR, we breathe into the mouth of man. And as a matter of fact, the the new developments in CPR will now tell you that the breath into the mouth isn't as important as the pumping of the chest. It is the pumping of the chest that is more important. I remember in the beginning, 25, 28 years ago, when I was first learning CPR, it was five compressions of the chest and then you would breathe at least two breaths into the mouth. Now it's 30 seconds or 30 compressions of the chest and check for breathing. The importance is the compression of the chest than it is breathing into the mouth. And there are a lot of reasons and a lot of medical uh, changes that have uh, corresponded to how we practice CPR today versus the way we used, we used to. But when you match what man is starting to learn now, we find that you know, as we breathe into the mouth of man, uh, God didn't breathe into the mouth of man. Scripture declares that God breathed into the nostrils of man. He reached down and he took your nose, the intake point of life, and he breathed life eternal into you. Your mouth is the place where we attempt to restore what has already been done. When God starts man breathing, man becomes a living, thinking being with will and choice. And if we were to uh, take a look at the human respiratory system, we would discover that air enters into the nostrils and then passes through the uh, nasopharynx and then the oropharynx through the glottis into the trachea, then into the right and left bronchii, which then branch out and rebranches into the bronchioles. And many people think that our mouth then it's part of this system or is a part of our our actual breathing when in actuality your mouth is not even a part of your respiratory system at all in fact your mouth is a part of your gastrointestinal system but when you are in a trauma the mouth becomes the quickest way to get air into your lungs now watch this pay pay close attention to the next thing I'm going to release into your spirit This is why God didn't breathe into our mouth. He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life eternal so that it did not go into the abdominal cavity. You see, your mouth is for eating and digesting food. And eating and digesting food is not how you breathe. It's a part of life. It's what helps to sustain life, but it is not what introduces life. That's just a little anatomy lesson for you. We'll call that a sidebar this morning. But your true value is life eternal, breathed of God, breathed into your very nostrils. And you'll, after a while, you'll understand why this is the most Easter Resurrection Sunday sermon I could ever preach matter of fact, in all the years that I've been preaching and pastoring, this is probably my most Resurrection Sunday sermon I've ever preached. But the Ruach, or the breath of life, is actually spirit in the Hebrew language. It is spirit because it derives from that which is spirit. It is also what makes us the apple of God's eye. Now your physical body when you die the Bible tells us will return to the dirt from which it was created but our spirit has to return to its source and its source is God. So you have to understand that your real worth is not in your achievements, your drives, your emotions or your experiences. It is in your spirit. That invisible part of us uh, is where your real value lies. Now I encourage you look into the archives of our sermons over the last year year and a half and and we really break down how we are the expressed image of God and uh, how we are manifested as tripart creations and uh, how God expresses himself in and through the varying parts and what those parts are and how they work together and how they fight and war with each other I encourage you go back and listen to those sermons again you'll get a greater understanding of what I'm talking about talking about. I don't have the time today to to really get into that as I would like to. But your spirit uh, is actually so protected that your spirit cannot be traumatized or compromised by any external event. So your self-esteem is never damaged by the ups and downs of life. Now I hear too many believers refer to themselves as broken or undervalued and even ugly. As a matter of fact, there are songs, you know, gospel songs that are out there talking about your brokenness. And and they make these references because some event has so traumatized them that they define themselves by the event itself. But when you begin to understand who you truly are in God, you'll find that nothing external can deviate value you your spirit is protected your soul which is the mind the will and the emotions that's the seat of your mind your will and your emotions that is your soul can be damaged so when you learn to tap into your spirit rather than tapping into your soul you'll find that the damaged part of your soul cannot nor will it compromise your purpose or derail you from your success or establish your value now we are so much more than just a soul we are more than just a body we are also a spirit we have a soul we live in a body but our value is how it's found in how we develop or nurture our human spirit now there is a power that the enemy does not want you to have knowledge of concerning your human spirit. And I'm going to expose to you the, the uh, tools to be successful in every uh, you know attempt of the enemy to try to overtake your life. Because you can overcome any obstacle and bring your soul. Remember, uh, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. You can bring all of that into subjection to a greater source of creativity that is alive in you. Too many people consider themselves broken. They're experiencing some level of hurt or pain. And uh, they're in some type of a therapy or in a, a, a counseling session. Or they're medicating themselves with habits, with religion, with drugs, with sex. Trying to uh, make their soul get well while the human spirit lays dormant and ignored and suppressed. And, and even oftentimes we silence it. It is time to take your spirit off of mute. Your spirit is waiting on you To activate it And again bring life to you When we are in trauma All of our attention Is to healing that which is External the body But we are limited to Dealing with just the outer man But when you have nurtured And developed a relationship With the spirit of God And your spirit or your, your Walking in fellowship It will not matter the type of trauma or the level of injury to your outer man, your recovery rate is always higher when you tap into the spirit. When a person is broken in spirit, their recovery rate is extremely low. And we hear it all the time. People refer to those that are in uh, some level of serious trauma as clinging to life. As a person who is fighting to live, Well, will encourage others by trying to tell them don't worry they're a fighter now there is a level of invincibility in the human spirit that transcends science and statistics and uh, even uh, schooling Uh, you watch as the recovery is nothing less than miraculous they they should not even be alive yet they are living they've gone through a trauma that should have killed them but they're alive then I've seen people on the other side of the same coin with next to nothing wrong with them, and yet they die. Even with all uh, that they have and all that they are and, and, and you know, everything that's going for them, uh, they die because uh, they are, their spirit is broken. And because their spirit is broken, their health can never be obtained. Now there's a reason why your spirit is so powerful. It's powerful because it is directly connected to the supernatural because it is connected to its creator, and its creator is God. Now, because of this fellowship between your spirit and your creator it is sensitive to the supernatural sound the supernatural faith the supernatural leading and the supernatural direction of God in fact because of your fellowship with God your human spirit is smarter than your educational development let me say that for you again your human spirit is smarter than your educational development your human spirit when nurtured properly operates as a receiver of the signal of God Our frequency with God is never lost. We are either not perceptive or receptive and defy what we have received from the source of life itself. And we end up in a lifetime of therapy and support groups without, uh, you know, uh, some, uh, you know, out of control emotion or terrible uh, temper or we run around throwing tantrums until we come back again to the very ground. And begin again with our Creator. The power of life needs no agreement with our soulish existence. The power of life needs no agreement with our soulish existence. Life by itself, with all the twists and turns, can leave anyone a victim, helpless and hopeless, without remedy. But God, in his infinite wisdom, knew we would need a force greater than life that would sustain us and uh, elevate us above life itself. So when I look at the life of Adam, I took some time to analyze the life of Adam. I find that he put all of us into trouble by following his emotions and not trusting the breath of eternal life that was alive in him. Understand. When Adam was formed and God breathed into Adam the 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 breath of life eternal uh, and he became a living soul he became a person who knew all good because he was connected or he was the receiver of that which was good how does Adam know what to call how does Adam even know how to speak reason understand if not already in him was the knowledge that was greater than any educational development. Now I'm not knocking education but I want you to understand something. Your education pales in comparison to the knowledge of God that is revealed in your spiritual fellowship with him. Adam was able to do what he did in naming everything that has been named, those names that have held true to today because he declared it so because he was the receiver of knowledge from God. But in this moment, he doubts the voice of the breath of life that's in him. He second-guessed himself into treason and he broke communion in fellowship with God. His spirit man is now excommunicated from the daily talks and uh, daily walks and uh, daily fellowship with his creator. What he once never, never knew how to become normal. He was making it in life by the sweat of his brow now. Now Adam has to make his own life work for him and work for his family that signal has been compromised between him and God our holy father the source of everything still though has much to say to us We, we I said it at the onset today we, we hold on to these truths and, and we take these truths to our grave as if that's all God has to say God is alive and still speaking to us if we would but listen we are still the bearers of his image but now Adam, Adam's human spirit is dead and can no longer receive what God is sending because God said death would come if he ate of the tree of the, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. The frequency has been interrupted. He is left to a menial life instead of a dominating, ruling one. His human spirit is no longer the focus. Now he must focus on the outer man, that dirt man, that which was created from the dust of the earth. Now he has shame and guilt. Now uh, he's uh, born into or brought into suffering and struggling. And he ends up in a mess without communion with the source of life. His very intuition is compromised. And when you experience this, your perception becomes dull. Your appetite changes. You are driven then by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Everything that God never wanted us to struggle with becomes our own ambition. What we need is redemption. What we need is a savior. What we need is to be restored in right fellowship to our deliverer, our creator, our healer, our supply, our knowledge, our power, our human spirit needs another chance praise be to God for his tender mercies and being a God of another chance as I begin to explain to you this new lease on life we have to comprehend the transition that we must make too many believers are seated at the foot of the cross The cross is important. The cross is the entry point into redemption. The cross is how we get from where we are to where God is trying to take us. But Jesus is no longer on the cross. He declared the cross was meant to do what it has done and he said, it is finished. Now, Once I come through the cross... I no longer need to remain at the cross. The cross is my access point, and I must walk through that access point, but I should not linger at the access point. There are too many believers loitering at the cross. If I'm uh, given by God's grace a beautiful home, but I just walk through the front door, I can never enjoy. The beauty that is the home Because I'm stuck at the threshold of the door. And this is where too many believers are located. We are located at the threshold. The front door of our redemption. But we cannot enjoy the power of that reconciliation with God. Because we refuse to keep moving through the door. Into the thing that the door represents. It's an access point to. Now in Christian theology. Redemption is an element of salvation Which simply means Deliverance from sin It is the very act of God Buying us back Or Paid a price to return us to His possession. Now theology teaches us that the use of redemption is that through the sacrifice of the death of Christ, He purchased mankind from slavery to sin and set us free from the bondage of disobedience. Now the Greek word for redemption is agorazo, and it means to purchase. Another word used for redemption is exagorazo. Redemption always involves going from something to something else. You ought to look at the person that's sitting next to you and tell them, I'm moving from something to something else. Now, in this case, it is going from darkness into light. It is going from silence into sound. It is going from hopelessness into freedom. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I'm moving from something sin to something else. God's redemptive power washed in his blood made white as a lamb. I am now the expression of God in right fellowship with him through the process of redemption. Now there's another Greek word connected with redemption and it is the word lutro which means to obtain release by the payment of a price. The price of our Release is the precious blood of the Lamb. His blood obtained our release from sin. This release is for the entirety of the world. Not just for any one specific group of people. Christ actually came to redeem all of humanity. Out of his bondage to sin. Or in, in, in essence its bondage to dirt. It is this dirt component that gives us such a disadvantage. We have so many limitations No means of reparation To make amends for our many mistakes Those committed by us And even those that are done to us Redemption then becomes vital For the life being restored In the believer Remember God told Adam Death would surely come Well what was this death It was separation from life eternal Our human spirit is rendered dead In the garden of Eden But because of the work of Jesus Christ We now can go back to Eden And live on top of the world This was God's original intent That we would have communion and fellowship Equaled by peace and joy Not thorns and thistles Somebody ought to give God some glory But here's the key By faith we must receive The finished work of Christ and accept him as our kinsman redeemer. Now the work of this faith restores our human spirit back to its original state while still in our earthly realm. This gives us a major advantage. And we should be grateful for the rest of our uh, earthly lives. When we receive Jesus, that which was dead has come back to life. And God's original intent in us is restored. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you... He made alive who was dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit uh, who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now the grace of God manifested through Jesus will now make you live in your human spirit rather than in your mortal body. The limitation has been removed and you are able to soar and succeed in life regardless of what comes your way. When you experience the grace and the mercy of God through the power of the life and obedience of Jesus, you are now restored Lord, back to the place of dominion. You still have to. You still have some work to do in knowing your human spirit and nurturing this final part of your being, so that you can once again receive the frequency and the signal of our holy Father. Remember what I've been teaching you. We are created as a reflection of the triunity of God. We are spirit with the soul that lives in the body. For several months, I've broken this relationship down piece by piece precept by precept Uh, but let me just give you a quick synopsis of it. Our human spirit is what God gave us that we might have fellowship with his spirit. It comes from him. He breathed it into the nostrils of man. It is the breath of life. God is spirit so he made us spirit so that we could uh, be compatible in relationship with him. The very breath that is in our nostrils indicates spirit Spirit is present and alive within us. Our nose only functions as a receptor for air or oxygen but the moment that spirit leaves the body, our nose will cease to function and breathe in air. Breathing is an indicator of our spirit being alive within us. Our true selves created in the image and the likeness of God is spirit. It is in our spirit where communion begins. this is where fellowship originates our human spirit must be developed and cultivated so that we might pick up the signals of God which uh, become much easier to do. With our human spirit we perceive we discern and we know the things that are beyond mind or uh, uh, human intellect. Uh, some people call it a gut feeling or having a premonition. Some of us even call it deja vu. And all of these indicate that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. God in his Wisdom then gives us a soul. Now the soul is defined as the principle of life, feeling, thought, and action. It is regarded as a distinct entity that's separate from the body and commonly held to be separate uh, in, in his own existence from the body. It is known as intellect or mind, volition or will, emotions or wants and desires. This part of us was never intended to guide us or rule us, but it is the very thing for which we struggle. This part of us is at the deepest level, the very base of us. We put a lot of emphasis on our thought life, our mind, our emotions, and our will, and we would love for this part of us to be celebrated, but it was God's original intent that our human spirit would lead us, and our soul would simply conform to the leading of our human spirit, communicating its desires and activities through our body. Our physical body is never to be in charge. It was to be the servant of the soul even as our soul is the servant to our human spirit that's in connection or fellowship with God. But something happened and this went uh, dreadfully wrong. We, we've now shifted in all of creation. Our spirit is silenced. Our will, our emotions and our, uh, our body, our carnality speak loudly and our our body then becomes the servant of that carnality and carries out its command. In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam his first commandment. And this was what Adam was to do and what Adam was not to do. He told him in Genesis 2 and 16, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you shall surely died and this is where all our trouble began Adam did not obey God the very tree that he was told not to eat from because he had volition he had choice he made a decision to go against what God spoke to him and immediately confusion breaks out in the garden now instead of the spirit communing with God it's running around from and hiding from God Adam ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and this is the beginning of the mixture you see prior to this all Adam knew was good and this is what confuses most of us good and evil especially when good and evil come together the knowledge of good and evil is what God never intended for Adam to ever know he only wanted him to know life eternal to know that which is good to be connected to him which is good and that's God alone to know him on a daily basis to walk with him even God would come down in the cool of the day and walk with Adam in the garden to be in fellowship with him to be in fellowship spirit to spirit now understand this is not Holy Spirit this is Adam's human spirit it was open and it was aware of God his receptors were sharp there was no confusion he knew the voice of God he knew where to meet God he knew when God was coming and he welcomed the fellowship with God but the moment Adam disobeys he ran to hide himself even then God looked for him because it is God who wants to commune with us through our human spirit And this is the most amazing truth, that even when there is a breach, even when we disobey, God is still looking for us. He's still desiring to have communion with us. He finds us by our human spirit. But when we are out of order, Our soul, our will, our logic begins kicking in and becomes the boss, introducing us to other ideas and other opinions and other options that take us away from God. The more our soul dominates our human spirit, the less sensitive our human spirit will be to God. The Bible says that before we met Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 and 1. We lived and followed the ways of this world the ruler of the kingdom of the air who is now at work in those who are disobedient all of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following our own desires and our own thoughts like everybody else we were by nature objects of wrath what was dead our spirit was dead when Adam sinned against God humanity came into the world every baby that is born is now a a Stillbirth. Every baby that is born is now born dead. Yes, they're breathing, but their human spirit is not responsive yet. Their human spirit is on life support. So now the soul and the body work havoc in our lives. And it leads us into mischief. This is why when you leave a child to themselves, they always gravitate towards chaos. Many times irreversible damage is done while we are in this state of our human spirit being dead or asleep so we become accustomed to our soul dominating and guiding us it takes us on a journey that most of us don't even enjoy but we have no help from our human spirit until we find Jesus and place our faith in him immediately upon hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ believing it and accepting him as our savior our human human spirit is quickened and made alive again. The connection of your faith to believing in the power of Jesus Christ is like an AED. It sends electrical current through your spiritual existence and it wakes you up. It causes you to breathe again for the first time in your life since your birth. Our connection to God gets back on track. We were navigating by our soul the things we thought, the things we felt, the things we experienced. It was all about us. Our soul doesn't know God. It will never lead us to God. The soul is selfish. The soul is brutish. It's low down. It's dirty. It's a dirty shame. And without our human spirit, we become accustomed to the soul being in the driver's seat. And our body will just simply comply. And we blame the body for everything. We blame the devil for everything. However, neither of these is responsible for the decisions that we've made and the consequences we now have to live with. It was our soul all the time that kept us gratifying ourselves or our sinful natures. This is how vital our human spirit is. This is why the enemy fights us so hard to ignore, to not know, to reject, or to silence our human spirit. To live without your human spirit being alive and connected to God is like having a head without a brain, it's like having an automobile without an engine. You're stuck, you're lost. And you ain't going nowhere. Now, here comes the awakening. We have this conundrum. We are not used to our human spirit being awake. So, now what? We've been dead all these years, driven by our soul, our emotions, and our pain. And now our human spirit uh, wants to communicate with God. It wants to bring peace and joy and this new sphere of life. Uh, now here it is. Uh, and here it is, people of God. If you want to experience this, this is where it starts. You have to let Jesus go. You gotta let Jesus grow. To, uh, go. He's gotta uh, be released. Uh, I know that you, what you're thinking. Uh, some of you think I've lost my mind and, and some of you uh, are trying to still figure out what I'm talking about. You, you think maybe you or I or somebody is missing something. But in God's wisdom, he declares in his word. This is why you ought to read your Bible. The Bible says try the prophet. The Bible declares know your word. You ought to study it for yourself. You ought to be able to already be able to finish this sermon because you are so invested in the word but the Bible declares that you will need help to reconnect to Jesus so Jesus says I must go away so the comforter will come Jesus even declares it is better for us that he go but here we are handcuffed to him telling him he ain't going nowhere without us. Jesus declared that the comforter would come. The comforter would live in our human spirit. He is God resident in us. John 16 uh, and 7 tells us that Jesus declares it is experience That means good for you that he go away. John 16, 13 through 15 says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All That belongs to the father is mine That is why I said The spirit will receive from me That what he will make known to you He now is in our human spirit To guide and to enhance Until our human spirit Is no longer in response To our soul's leadership The Holy Spirit helps us and gives us the advantage over our own soul. And this is an amazing truth that while, yes, we fight enemies without, yes, we encounter principalities and challenges and problems and even troubled people, but none of them pose a threat to our well-being like our own soul. You ought to remember, for most of your life, your soul has told your story. Your soul has been your nemesis. You carry a record that now Holy Ghost, uh, with the help of the Word of God, must trans- Transform and rearrange, even with some files getting deleted. This is the advantage. Holy Ghost is our advantage over our terrible mistakes, uh, over our every trauma and tragedy in life. Without Holy Spirit, we will never be able to be free of the guilt or the shame or the regret. Our soul carries the record and reminds us over and over again how we failed, how we were violated. How we were mistreated. It reminds us how we didn't handle situations well. Who would want to live this life with just your soul and no Holy Ghost? The soul is the hard drive. Now, through the living and breathing Word of God, our minds are transformed to becoming new creations, living a supernatural and amazing life. All because Holy Ghost is resident. And lives in our human spirit. Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed. By the renewing of your mind. Paul also tells us in 2 Corinthians 10. 4 through 6. 6 the weapons of that we fight with. Are not weapons of the world. On the contrary. They have divine power. To demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments. In every pretense That sets itself up Against the knowledge of God And we take captive Every thought to make it Obedient to Christ And we will be ready to punish Every act of disobedience Once your obedience Becomes complete Because Holy Ghost Has been released in your life But you cannot enjoy Holy Ghost until you Let Jesus go It is the letting of Jesus go that introduces Holy Ghost into your life. Jesus said he can't come. The Holy Ghost can't come if he is still here. So our battle is the soul versus the spirit. Paul says in Romans seven fifteen through 20, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do I do not do but what I hate to do and if I do what I do not want to do I agree that the law is good as it is it is no longer I myself who do it but it is the sin living in me for I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. If I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who doeth it, but it is sin living in me that does it. There is a continual battle between our soul and our spirit. How did I get like this? I lived without my human spirit being active in my life for far too long. My mind, my will, and my emotions have been trained a certain way. Therefore, my human spirit is now awakened and is flooded with the love of God. But the warfare in me is real. So Holy Ghost is there within me mediating the battle. He is the umpire Standing in the middle of the battle Between my soul and my spirit And as I learned to hear And to follow the Holy Ghost uh, Each victory over my soul Makes my human spirit stronger And when once uh, uh, It once held me In bondage as a prisoner I uh, know And now I Feel free and bound But Romans 7 and 22 says For in my inner being I delight in God's law the law of God is in my human spirit my inner being loves God so the war is between my soul and the members of my body my body has for so long aligned itself and been a servant to my soul i had to retrain my human spirit to or i had to retrain my body to submit itself to my human spirit As my human spirit submitted itself to Holy Ghost. And when I do this, I gain the advantage over all the devices, uh, the the habits and and the appetites and the desires and the lusts that had me captive for so long. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Now I can bring those thoughts into captivity and make them obey the word of God that lives in my human spirit. Is this easy? No! Is it possible? Yes! Is it worth fighting for? Absolutely yes! To live the life of the Spirit is a wonderful life. It's an amazing life. It doesn't uh, take place overnight because you did not learn to be wrong overnight. There were multiple years of going in the opposite direction of God. But give yourself time and be diligent about it. Play in the power of the Holy Ghost. Read your Bible. Listen for the instructions from God Pay close attention to what Holy Ghost is saying to you And little by little Moment by moment You will go from victim to victor You will become strong in faith Bold in your power And identity in Christ It is an amazing life Because you now have the advantage Now that we've awakened the spirit within us, there are three areas that we have to be aware of. I'm trying to get this out as quick as I can. And I told you I'd be unpacking a lot and you should have pen and paper ready to take notes or watch this video again when it re-airs. But the first area is conviction. Your conviction should be based upon the word of God and the word of God only. Only what God says is good is good. What God says is evil is evil. What God says he loves is what God says. When God says he hates is what God says. We ought to declare these things. This should be the basis of our every conviction. Our convictions reside in our human spirit, not in our soul. And once you develop your human spirit to align itself with Holy Ghost truth will be deposited in you. The truth of God's word will be a delight to your life. Your convictions will be shaped and you should never be violated even though there will be multiple opportunities for you to compromise You will never do it Be very careful That you don't confuse convictions With conscience You see the area of convictions will be small You may have four or five deep seated God convictions But in the areas of your conscience Which is a much bigger a larger space, there may be many things that you don't like and choose not to engage in. Remember, convictions are only for you and not for others. You can teach them to your children, but it doesn't have to become Their convictions. We have to be careful that we don't judge people when they don't share our convictions. They should be very precious to us, even if others around us don't agree with us. We should never be forced to do anything beyond our convictions. But our conscience gives us more liberty and freedom. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul discusses eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. There were those who were, uh, you know, holding a strong convictions about eating the temple's meat as their regular food. That was their conviction. And there were those who were uh, there that did not share those convictions. Their freedom becomes a stumbling block to those who were weak. And Paul declares to them, don't eat the meat. Even though you are free and have no conviction in this area. Because there are those around you who are weak. They have not yet formed a conviction about it. They are struggling watching you eat it while they are taught not to eat it. Now we may not have convictions convictions about certain things uh, and we may have more liberty because of our conscience gives us permission and in these areas our conscience uh, this consciousness you must rely heavily upon holy ghost when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate while conviction should never be optional for you certain matters of conscience are And you have to rely upon the advantage to take you in and out of places, be in order and not offensive. These are the areas of your consciousness. Alcohol is something that comes to mind that's so prevalent in the church, whether to drink or not to drink. Some people have convictions about it, some people are free in doing it. Don't compromise your conviction. But don't let your conscience compromise or become a stumbling block to somebody else's conviction. Paul makes this declaration in 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 13. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For someone with uh, a, a weak conscience sees you. Someone with a weak conscience sees you. With all your knowledge, eating the idols of the temple, the meat of the temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is then sacrificed to idols? So, this weak brother or sister from whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way, and and, and and operate in your conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I, I you know I do causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. You see, the focus is just because you are free from this conviction. And thereby, whatever the issue is might be lawful for you. It is still not expedient for you to do. We are responsible to respect the convictions of others, not just our own conviction. This is where Paul says, I become all things to all people that I might win them to Christ. The final area is the area of preference. We must master this area and understand that by this uh, being the widest area of the dictates of our life, in certain situations, our preferences may or may not be driven by the word of God. It could be the way we were raised. Childhood rules and regulations and and not necessarily uh, are, are good for everybody. Every family has their preferences Even in cooking, not everyone makes chicken the same way. We all have preferences. But in developing and mastering your human spirit, you must not be picky with our preferences. Not at any time should we pass judgment on someone who does not adhere to our preferences. If we can only abide in peace in our families and on our jobs or in our churches or wherever we go, this is the ultimate goal. As we develop a relationship with Holy Ghost in our human spirit, we will be able to readily detect our own convictions, our own conscience and our own preferences and these are the boundaries of our life. Preferences will change. Consciousness will be fluid from time to time but your convictions are steadfast and built upon the word of God. Allow Holy Ghost to speak truth to you in every situation. Listen intently to the still small voice of God governing your lives accordingly as I move Toward my close, let me just give you a practical exercise that is that has worked for me. Worship is an excellent way to stay in touch with and develop communion with Holy Ghost. My devotional time with God is most precious. Matter of fact, most people don't ever ever see me worship because my worship is intimate with God. I worship with God when I am alone with God. I worship with God out in the public as well, but my most intimate moments with God are when I'm alone. And when I worship God privately or publicly, my human spirit is developing fellowship with God. In the fourth chapter of John, uh, the book of John, Jesus tells the Father that uh, he's seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, the word spirit is small. It's a small capital S uh, or a non-capital S in the text. That means it's not the spirit of God is being referred to, but the spirit of man, the human spirit. It's the human spirit that worships. Remember, it is always God's intent for us to be in fellowship with him. Spirit to spirit. This is his intention of restoration. Restoration to restore us to the day of walking with him and communing with him. Our Holy Father is still looking for the human spirit that is filled with truth to worship him. This is the only part of us that is compatible with God. If you want to grow in this area of your convictions or your conscience or uh, clearly define your preferences, having victory over every limitation, worship is a powerful key to hearing Holy Ghost more clearly. It is the one practice of our faith that engages our human spirit and creates a bond of love between us and God when you really love God you will obey God you will quickly respond to God having the advantages speaking to you worship is intimacy between a believer and God much like sexual intercourse is intimacy between a husband and a wife he creates God creates the oneness of mind and dialogue ideas and goals in this intimate connection the more you worship the more you master your human spirit the more attentive, your spirit will be to the leading and guiding of Holy Ghost. Let Jesus go and embrace Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost wants to be alive in you so it can restore you to to communion with your Holy Father. It is Holy Ghost. Jesus' work is done. This is the day we celebrate that his work is finished. Now we ought to embrace what he died for. And that is that restored fellowship Would be established And that can only be realized By embracing Holy Ghost The the manifestation and presence Of all God is in you Let Jesus go Embrace Holy Ghost Because the work of Jesus Is finished at redemption Now the power of restored relationship must come alive. And that is manifest in the life, the power, the presence of Holy Ghost in you. I have more, so much more to give you. But I've given you a lot to think about today. I've given you a lot to think about today. Take this opportunity. Listen to this sermon again. Listen to it over and over and over until this saturates you, until you feel the awakening, until you begin to comprehend what God is telling us. It is so much more important for you after the process of redemption is complete to not linger at the cross but to move into what you now have access to this is why God declared I give it to you as a gift to receive a gift all you have to do is accept it Holy Ghost is not that feeling good hand stomping or hand clapping foot stomping thing that we do in church that we say is Holy Ghost. We, we say we had a Holy Ghost good time and most people don't even really realize that they've never left the cross. They've never given Holy Ghost a chance to live. Holy Ghost is not a feeling. Holy Ghost cannot be found where your feelings are. Holy Ghost resides in the spirit of man communing with the spirit of man it is spirit to spirit it is only compatible with your spirit God bless you he is risen embrace the gift that he left that he's left for us let him go so Holy Ghost can come I ask that you would hang with me today and we would share in communion. So we're going to switch cameras. I'm going to move over to the communion table and the few of us here that are in the studio, we will break bread one with another. And I ask that you follow along with us and break bread with us. I believe that this Jesus declared we ought to do in remembrance of him. So we do this in remembrance of him. in us the ability to connect with Holy Ghost, that we might live out the full expression of who you are in the world. Let us now become partakers of of the body and the blood of the Lord, remembering what you have done for us. seated in us as Holy Ghost embodies the fullness of the Godhead the fullness of the Godhead is now embodied in us and we say thank you we magnify and glorify the presence of the Lord now just before we close the service I want to say this tune in on Tuesday for our Bible study. Because on Tuesday I'm going to show you the timeline of the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to get away from church tradition and the myths and the nonsense that we have so long endured and accepted as just right. Jesus did not die on a Friday. He he arose on a Sunday, but he did not die on a Friday. It is impossible for him to have died on Friday. We're going to talk about it, and I'm going to show you in Scripture exactly when Jesus died. We're going to talk about why we celebrate the way we celebrate. We're going to reveal truth about this sacred thing that God has done in the power of his son's life, death, and resurrection, so that we would have the right understanding and receive from it right power, getting away from man's nonsense and church tradition born of Constantine and fables and myths, that we would understand what it is that's been done for us. Let the power of Holy Ghost be alive in you and let Jesus go. God bless you. Have an awesome Resurrection Sunday. And we look to see you Tuesday at Bible study. If the Lord doesn't call us to see you in the air before that, God bless you. This has been a production of the GMFC Studios. God bless you.